Hey, monsters. You're listening to That Slayer Show. My name is Kate Schroeder. My name is Madeline Kane. And this week we're watching season two, episode two, Some Assembly Required. Through the theme of escape. Madeline, any announcements? Kate, we have a new review from Donuts in a Cemetery who says... My passion for Buffy resurrected. This podcast gives me comfort with just the right amount of occasional attitude. I enjoyed Buffy when I first watched it, but I'm loving it now that I get to explore new facets of the show that I never realized were there. Wow. Thank you, Donuts in a Cemetery. All right. Well, it was an interesting episode. It was. Should we Should we remind the listeners yeah. what happened? Let's do it. I think while they're listening to the recap, it might appear, it might become clear to them just how weird the episode was. Because sometimes when you're watching, you don't realize how weird it is. This was one of those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you ready, Madeline? I'm ready. Three, two, one. Recap. Angel and Buffy are in the cemetery, and um, Angel's jealous because Buffy did a sexy dance with Xander. Right, but then they have like a nice night in the cemetery anyway, but then Buffy finds like an empty grave, and someone probably robbed the grave. And then um, there's a science fair going on at school, and there's this guy named Chris who's like really smart and always beats below. Right, but then for some reason they're looking for missing like body parts to figure out what's up with this uh, empty grave. And there's this kid named Eric who keeps taking pictures of the girls, and then it turns out that. Um, Cordelia finds like hands in the in the in the like in the dumpster. Right. And then they're like, oh, my God, someone like used party body parts from these three girls that died in a car crash for what? And then it turns out that Chris's older brother, Daryl, died in a climbing accident. And um, Chris resurrected him by like stitching him together Frankenstein style. And then he wants to find a buddy for Chris or Daryl. Right. And find a girlfriend. And so they're like, Cordelia is pretty. So we'll use her head. And so they're trying to kill Cordelia and chop off her head. And then um. Yeah, fuck. Oh, fuck. I'm so sorry. I just, I blanked and we really went out with a fizzle, not a bang that time. Um, That was on me. That's okay. I mean, it ended as one would expect, you know, Buffy fixed everything. Right. Chris, who was trying to put together a Dr. Frankenstein style monster for his older brother, Daryl. He ended up not being evil and ended up helping the gang while Eric ended up being pretty evil. Right. And we don't really know why Eric is even involved. <laughs> we don't. But we will probably explore this at the end of this episode of That Slayer Show when we get into Eric's backstory a little bit. Ooh, can't wait because I was personally confused the entire time. <laughs> We do see Giles courting Miss Calendar. Oh, of course. That is really important. Successful only through Miss Calendar's initiative. Uh, also, there's some really cute moments between Angel and Buffy in which Angel admits to being jealous of, of Xander and they end up like walking home holding hands, which is kind of gross, but cute. It's cute. It's cute. Are I you just, against hand holding? I just like get uncomfortable when people hold hands. Like you personally? I personally, when other people hold hands or when I hold, like I don't like holding hands. (laughs) I like understood that it was meant to be a cute moment. Okay. Well, I don't go off. It's like they're silent, just holding hands. That's so uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I don't have this um, hang up. So I thought it was a really cute scene. I enjoy walking and holding hands. Okay. That's gross. (laughs) So we use the theme 
escape for this episode. Madeline, did you have anything you want to? Yeah. So in terms of escape and escapism, I've been thinking about when is escapism healthy versus unhealthy? And so in this episode, I saw escapism when there are hordes of people going to watch football and it's a break from the day to day. You get to all come together to cheer on this team. You're like focusing in your reality into this really controlled set of problems that happens on the football field that as a spectator seems like a really healthy way to escape from reality. But then I saw it in a really unhealthy way with with Chris and Daryl's mom who was sitting in front of the TV just watching Daryl's football clips, presumably over and over again. Um, She seemed like she didn't even know Chris was in the house. She was probably really depressed and watching Daryl's football games on the television was a way to cope with that. But it seemed like it became unhealthy. Seems like she was sort of escaping from the reality of his death by just watching tapes over and over again. But the result of that was that her son who was still alive now didn't you know they could have maybe worked through it all together and instead he was sort of left on his own right it's just it is hard to be critical of her because it must be so painful like the reality of having a child die and yeah it did seem unhealthy to me but like I also feel like I want to be compassionate toward her because that reality must be so painful. Maybe escaping it is all she can do. Yeah. And so I struggle with escapism, like whether it's a healthy coping mechanism or an unhealthy coping mechanism. I guess it's probably all on a spectrum. If it can be, if the escapism can add to an existing rich reality, maybe that's good. But if it's like the only thing that you're finding joy in, maybe that can become harmful. I wonder if maybe her escaping through these old memories and clinging to them and maybe Chris is sort of escaping from reality in a different way by just reconstructing his brother and without placing any judgment on either of them. I wonder if these two forms of escapism were maybe a way that hindered them like facing their pain Mm. together in a way that was more constructive. Yeah. It definitely made me feel for Chris in a way because he sort of lost his brother and his mom. That's so true. So on to something I just mentioned. So Chris rebuilds his brother. Not sure what the scars on the face are for, but maybe it was like a face heavy climbing accident. (laughs) I do think bringing his brother back to life is a form of escaping for Chris because it's not really something open to most people when their loved ones die. It feels like an escape rather than an act of love for me because I don't really think Daryl is necessarily happier this way. I think he feels really lonely Mm. and it's it's maybe Chris's escaping the reality of his brother's death but in a different way it's sort of holding him captive into this new reality of his secretly alive brother who he now has responsibility for because he gave him his life back yeah 
sometimes when we try to escape, we can actually just end up creating new realities that are just as stressful or more stressful than the one that we were trying to escape from. And I think you can see that sometimes with sports too, like people get so into their sports that they become really depressed if their team doesn't win. So in some ways, you know, we are trying when we're escaping, we're trying to construct this new reality that we have some control over or that is a reprieve. But I don't know. It's like we can just we end up just kind of building the same stressors into these mediums of escape sometimes, which I think happened with Chris when he brought back Daryl. Okay. Question. Yeah. Okay. Do you think without taking away any of the suspense for our last segment, do you think Eric is escaping anything by joining in the quest to get a girlfriend for Daryl. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. To kill a living human being in order to put her dead head onto other dead parts to then create a living, semi-living girlfriend for Daryl? I think he's escaping a reality where he has no influence. Like, he probably is this nerdy science guy. Yearbook kid? Oh. Oh, yearbook I think he's kid. both. Like your book and both. science kid. So he's in, you know, he's not particularly good looking. Buffy and the gang described him as annoying because he was being annoying. I think that probably was is frustrating for him. So, yeah, I think he's trying to generate a reality where he can just create life. Yeah, we'll get into it more. Oh, he's just straight power tripping as power an tripping. escape from the fact that no one actually looks at the yearbook. <laughs> And this actually, it seems like with Eric, we're seeing escapism through self-deception in that he's lying to himself about the extent of his reach or influence that he should be able to have in life. And that leads me into another point of escapism that I saw with Xander, actually. Xander seemed like he was doing a similar thing, escapism through self-deception. He says to Buffy, People don't fall in love with what's right in front of them. People want the dream, what they can't have. The more unattainable, the more attractive. It's a very pointed statement that he's making to Buffy about the fact that she turned him down and she's into Angel. Right. And I think what he's doing here is he's trying to insert this story of her being the flawed one. She like wants what she can't have and that's her problem. I'm not at fault. So instead of him taking her rejection as like, oh, I'm not good enough. Something's wrong with me. He's twisting it to be on her and her flaw. So I think that actually is a form of escapism in a way because he's like escaping to this reality that shines him in a better light. Do you think that's fair to say? I think it's fair because implicit in what he's saying is that if Angel weren't around, he would be... Buffy would choose him. Oh, what's right in front of you? Yeah, like Xander's right in front of Buffy, but so are a lot of other people. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, in a way, like it's lucky for him that Angel's around so that Buffy's not rejecting him just out of the fact that she's not into him. Right. She's she was really clear about the fact that she wasn't interested in him, and he yeah. just keeps bringing it up in a way that is supposed to make her feel bad, which is a pretty shitty thing to do. And also, I think, a way for him to escape. Just by constantly reinforcing this idea that it could have been me. 
Mm-hmm. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Did you see escapism anywhere else, Kata? Poor Giles and Miss Calendar. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm so glad we're talking about them. Oh, okay. God. Great. Should we just get into that a little bit? Yeah, more? definitely. So great moment Giles is like practicing his date proposal the kids walk in and they're like this is how you should do it and then he still is he's like okay but he's still nervous and then he sees this calendar and he's trying to do this thing but then she just doesn't have time but then she turns around and does the thing the kids do to Giles back and he's like oh great and then later he's like oh it's a date anyway super cute great scene yeah really cute scene did I explain that in a way that made no sense? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it by the look in your eyes. So the the kids walk in on Giles practicing his asking Miss Calendar out speech, and it's not going super well. And so they then give him several suggestions on how best to ask Miss Calendar out. Giles later sees Miss Calendar is really trying to follow these suggestions, but is also just himself. Which is good, I think. And then Miss Calendar doesn't really have time for him, but is like, oh, wait, if you have to tell me something important, uh, why don't we grab food and then go to the football game? <laughs> and then Giles is like, yes. He's like, sports. Yes, I, I watch those. <laughs> <laughs> food, I eat that. <laughs> and then later she calls it a date and Giles is like, whoa, what? This is a date? Yeah, Uh, very cute. To tie that to escapism, I was thinking about how Giles seems like he could really easily be... He might be a workaholic. Um, He is often in the library looking haggard, looking like he hasn't slept much because of the impending doom that's always right around the corner that he's researching. For some people, it seems like going to work is a way to escape from maybe their life. And I wonder, like, Giles lives alone he might sometimes use work as a form of escape so i was thinking that i thought it was a really healthy way that he might be able to even out his work-life balance a little bit Ooh, i love that so kind of where i saw is more of escape was just they are trying to escape right not necessarily from their life or from school maybe all of those things but honestly they're just trying to have a date <laughs> Yeah. And he tries to send away Willow and Xander and then they like sit down right in front of them and start eating their popcorn, right? It's like, yeah, Giles is the watcher and that's really important. And like, come on, Giles, there's like impending death. And I believe the last time Buffy tried to go on a date when impending death was the topic, you really expected a lot from her. So... Maybe it's helpful that Miss Calendar is like a techno pagan and Owen was I don't a nobody. No. A nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what can I say? But it was uh, it was nice to see them trying to escape from their all-encompassing reality. Kate, any other instances of escape for you? Okay, so I was wondering Chris doesn't cut off Cordelia's head and he gets cold feet. At the end, he made this plan. He created his brother. He dug up graves of three dead high school girls and pieced out their bodies for parts for this new girl. But at the end, because he sort of changed sides at the last minute, it feels like in a way he escapes responsibility for his other 
actions. I was wondering, did the fact that he decided to not do that give him sort of a get out of accountability free card for the other things? Were the other things that bad? Yeah, I guess when you compare it to, you know, murder or decapitation, it it feels a lot less bad. I'm thinking like, yeah, grave desecration, I guess, is disrespectful. (laughs) I guess. That is way different from murder. That's true. On the other hand, was he really gonna be in any position to stop Cordelia from getting murdered without like Buffy was like, what is happening right now? Where is she? Tell me. And he was hesitating and it took forever. Right. That's true. But I, I think what happened is he just got like accidentally in over his head. Yeah. He in good faith brought his brother back because he had, you know, he had the technical skills to do that. I, I don't know. I guess the influence of his brother was really strong and he right. felt like a really strong responsibility to Daryl because he brought him back to, you know, follow that up with making sure he had a good quality life. So he probably was pretty torn. Yeah. I think it's time for what you liked. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Tell me. The first natural, flowing, friendly banter between Angel and Buffy happened. For the first time, they had a conversation that reflected that they knew each other, that they have some sort of connection, and that they have things to talk about. And Angel didn't just walk away. He, like, did, and then Buffy fell into a grave, (laughs) and he was like, wait, what? But... (laughs) (laughs) but I was like oh my god they're communicating yes it was amazing it was amazing and then also let's not forget in the middle of the episode when Cordelia is on Angel's arm and then Buffy walks in with Willow and Xander and there's this great scene where they're panning back and forth between Angel and Cordelia and Buffy and they're like Buffy Angel Xander Angel (laughs) Everyone's just saying each other's name, and I really enjoyed the the, like tension that was like pretty unnecessary. But like, I don't know. Yeah, I think I like the familiarity and like the humanness of the interaction. Angel's really been this hot mystery dude, but now we're sort of fleshing out what his personality is just a little bit. Yes, and he's like, "What the fuck am I supposed to do with this seventeen-year-old clinging to my arm while my?" While the other 17-year-old that I'm crushing on really hard walked in with this guy, I... Yeah. It's a mess. Oh, and Cordelia really commits. I know. She She really commits to not only holding onto his arm the whole time, but also, like, putting her head on his shoulder, putting her chin on her shoulder. (laughs) Ah, great scene. Great scene. Madeline, what did you enjoy? So, I also enjoyed... The Buffy Angel dynamic this episode. I really liked that Buffy was holding Angel accountable for his jealousy with the age gap. I just think it's really important that there's no weird controlling dimension that's going on that Angel is exerting over Buffy. And by Buffy calling him out on his jealousy, she's deflating any potential for him to abuse their relationship by like trying to control horror. I thought that was a healthy thing for for them both to go through. Yeah. And then also Angel has this really great line where he is talking about why he's feeling jealous of Xander. And he says, he gets to be there when I can't take your classes, eat your meals, hear your jokes and complaints. 
he gets to see you in the sunlight. I really loved that because I think so often vampires, especially Angel, they're romanticized. They're like these cool creatures of the night that are sexy and do crazy things that like sexy things. Crazy sex things, maybe? Yeah. I was really struck by the amount of loss that vampires have to endure and all of the beautiful moments in life that they don't get to have. Yeah. That made me kind of feel for Angel. It made me realize that he's really trapped in his vampire form. What else did you like? I did kind of enjoy the moment in the graveyard where Buffy and Willow are talking about specifically the sexy Xander dance. Well, the sexy Buffy dance with Xander. And I I liked Willow's honesty <laughs> when Buffy's like, ugh, I'm never going to live this down, am I? And instead of going, oh, yeah, now nah, we'll forget about it. <laughs> Willow goes, nope, <laughs> you won't. It's not like, oh, we've forgotten about it already, Buffy. It's like, yeah, that that was pretty bad. But right. like, it's OK. We forgive you. It's nothing that's going to jeopardize her relationship with Willow, even though it wasn't cool and Willow's going to. Well, I was going to bring it up from time to time. You know, it's going to be a thing that's almost like a joke. Right. Is it deflation without dismissal? <gasps> I think it is. Great. Because it will be brought up not in reproach, but more in, hey, remember when you did that thing? Yeah. Kind of humbling almost. <gasps> yes. Kita, what did you not like? What irked you in this episode? So I'm really starting to notice they're supposed to be 17 and Xander is starting to look old and like there's nothing he can do about that. (laughs) Literally, there's nothing he can do, but he really like he looks like a 30 year old, right? Late 20s, 30 year old. And I found myself also just missing a little bit the the reminders, the awareness that they are still in high school. And I'm not sure why that feels like something that's missing to me. Even their conversations with Giles and how ready they are to do everything. They've been through a lot and they've seen a lot at this point. Like their lives have been threatened multiple times. But still, I just am craving a little bit more of like the, oh, right, they're kids. Not because I'm like desperate for a high school show, just because I'm, I want us to remember. Absolutely. And I was thinking about that with our game. So sometimes if you're a longtime listener, you've heard us play Fuck, Mary Kill. And it's just a fun game that we play. But the reality is that sometimes the characters that we are pl- using to play this game are these high school characters. And I think part of the reason that it doesn't feel weird, like it doesn't feel weird when we're playing is because they look so old. But the reality is that these are like really young. The characters are supposed to be really young. And if you if you like keep that in mind, then the game is a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> but like, right. I think that just goes to show how easy it is to forget how young they are. Yeah. So in our new segment, we're going to make a little backstory for one of the more peripheral characters. And peripheral doesn't necessarily mean unimportant, just not like one of the main cast. So why is Eric (laughs) so involved? (laughs) What what got him there? (laughs) What's his what's his story? So my theory 
is that originally Eric was recruited by Chris to be a helper because I can only imagine that it would be very difficult for Chris to put together a body like sew together a body all by himself. So I think he probably needed another scientifically minded person to be with him when he was doing this. Probably a close friend. Enter Eric. Then Eric just got high on the power and took it too far. And so when Daryl requested a girlfriend, Eric saw his opening, decided to play a central role in that project by taking photos of girls. And I think what he saw then was a potential for him to create a girlfriend for himself. So I think this was like for him a rough draft. And he was testing the waters, also maybe seeing how far Chris would go if he was chill with killing someone because he was looking to make a girl for himself after after this one. That was my theory. You've really uncovered something here. Yeah, what about you? Amazing. Okay. So... They seem to be close friends, Eric and Chris. And I just, I think Eric wants a little more, you know? Okay, okay. I think Eric, you know, they've been friends for a long time and Eric's not, you know, super in a place where he's ready to maybe talk about his sexuality. Maybe he's just got a crush on Chris and wants, you know, wants something to happen there. But he's like feeling the need to sort of show, you know, his love for him in some way, ingratiate himself. Maybe, maybe they're not even close friends. Maybe he's doing whatever it takes, but he thinks even though Eric, even though Chris is uh, hesitating a little bit, he's like, if I, if I can like help Chris make his brother Daryl happy, that will like secure mm. our friendship and who knows, maybe a little more. It'll be a bonding experience. He's hoping in a way to create through the fact that they're killing someone together. One of those relationships that arises out of a shared negative experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's not good. It's not the road I would choose personally. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty obvious, I Murder. guess. <laughs> I guess I won't go down that path. I guess. I guess I won't sew dead people's parts together. Oh, oh, oh. Something that I found supporting this theory, I think Eric really goes out of his way to act like he's really into women like he's taking all these pictures and he's being really obnoxiously weird in a way that is never going to make any woman be into it but it's like a show and i bet you know maybe he thinks it'll make people think he's straight yeah yeah totally that was my supporting evidence yeah pretty good so vote for which do you think is the best backstory um on Wednesday. So this episode is going to be released on a Monday. And then on Wednesday, we'll post on our story. And you can vote there at that Slayer show. And we will post the results also on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to season two, episode two of That Slayer Show. If you like this episode or podcast in general, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, preferably a five-star review. Write something nice about us. We'll share it. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at thatslayershow at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram at thatslayershow. Our cover art was created by the fabulous Holly Colvin. 
And this podcast is inspired by Harry Potter and the Sacred Texts. Next week, we'll explore Season 2, Episode 3, through the theme of expectations. Stay tuned. We expect to see you then. <laughs> Bye. Bye.